0: Hello and welcome to When We Were Young After Dark. (laughs) (laughs) This is the podcast where we dive deep, deep, so deep into pop culture that titillated us when we were kids. To see if it can still get it up today. I'm Chris, your podcast host, most likely to like having nice tits.
1: (laughs) I'm Becky, the podcast
2: host most likely to eat the chips. I'm Seth, the host most likely to hear Caesar sing.
0: I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to be the only one who can get your tits popping right.
1: And I'm Becky, the podcast host most likely to know that sooner or later I'm gonna have to sell it. And I'm Seth, your host most likely to love
2: doggy chow.
0: And I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to want his nipples depressed, but not want them to look like they're levitating.
1: <laughs> and I'm Becky, the podcast host most likely to be dismissed at a dance audition due to the amount of classes I've taken.
2: <laughs> See ya. And I'm Seth, the host most likely to pronounce it Versace. (laughs) We're done now! (laughs) We have nine hosts on this episode. Have we exhausted you? Well, I
0: think (laughs) Showgirls is so extra that all three of our multiple personalities are coming out. And all of mine are about tits.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. That much is very, very obvious.
0: (laughs) So before we begin, I would like to say hello to all of the children who may be listening in the car with their parents. Uh, your mom or your dad is going to make you go away for a little while because um, our show is never
2: for children, but this is especially not for children. So
1: It's the NC-17 episode. Yes, this is not is. safe
2: for children. This is not safe for work. This is not safe for child
0: laborers. It's barely safe for adults. Yes, this is the NC-17 episode. It contains strong sexual content, drug use, pervasive language, some and violence. lots of tits. <laughs> and full frontal nudity. Fuck yeah, it does. So, no kids.
2: <laughs> it also includes twirling in a pool. <laughs> twirling? Or flopping? <laughs> full body flopping. <laughs> Though flopping may be a better term for that. Is that what
0: we're... Mm. <laughs> I would I'd say neither of those words accurately sums up. I would be... Exercising? <laughs> But with the like devilish the, connotation, okay. yes. So the reason this episode is rated at NC-17 is because we are taking a look back at Tits, the movie, aka Showgirls, the notorious erotic drama from the mid-90s starring Gina Gershon, Kyle MacLachlan, and Saved by the Bell's Elizabeth Berkeley. All of Saved by the Bell's Elizabeth Berkeley.
1: <laughs> Especially her labia. Yes. <laughs> Majora and Manoa.
0: And so, I, I don't know, should we just get more comfortable and like get topless for this episode, you guys?
1: Go right ahead, you first
3: Okay (laughs) The passion is real I can fall in love with you The desire is intense You can't touch me, but I can touch you I'd really love to
2: touch you And the show is about to begin Showgirls
3: Leave your inhibitions at the door
2: Wait, our audience know that I've been topless in every episode, right? Like this is recorded at my place, so obviously the tradition is.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll just show my ankle a little bit.
0: <laughs> Whoa! <Ooh. laughs> I'm imagining the poster of the movie Showgirls, but like it's an ankle instead of like her whole body,
2: <laughs> and the tagline is just "Whoa!"
0: <laughs> no children under seventeen.
1: No Amish children under <laughs> <What>? seventeen. <laughs>
0: So I'm going to start out with just an opening question. What was the most explicit thing you ever saw when you were a child or teenager? And and like, what were your rules around like what you were allowed and not allowed to watch, <laughs> Becky?
1: <laughs>
0: For those who have never listened to the show before.
1: So as far as what rules there were in my house, the answer is none.
3: <laughs>
0: Shocking. I mean,
1: there were theoretically some. I remember in fourth grade, I was really obsessed with the Rocky Horror Picture Show movie. Um, As you know, sex plays a very large role in that movie. There's an entire song called Touch a Touch a Touch Me. Um, My mom would My mom requested that I fast forward through that song. (laughs) Didn't stop me from watching the movie, mind you, when I was 10, (laughs) but requested that I fast forward through Touch a Touch a Touch Me. That's what she
2: picked. Did the music play while it was fast-forwarding, so you just got all the lyrics at 50% more efficiency?
0: (laughs) Was this before or after your hinky-pinky (laughs) sing-along?
1: It was probably around the same time. Okay. Um, Very selective. You let a little spanky
2: slide, but
1: (laughs) rocky horror. Okay, we all know about my stolen Mm -hmm. (laughs) pay-per-view. So I got absolutely everything that was on pay-per-view, including Showgirls. What year did Showgirls come out?
0: 95.
1: So I was 12. I'm positive... Before Showgirls, I must have seen some sort of porn. (laughs) <laughs> like, like on the I think what we when we got stolen per- pay-per-view I think like the Spice Channel came with it I remember that sometimes it was clear and sometimes it wasn't so sometimes it was scrambled but like I very clearly saw some breasts
2: <laughs> wait so the Spice Channel that was the Spice Girls television network yes. right <laughs> shout out to our last episode <laughs> very different Spice Girls Yes, very
1: different Spice Girls oh.
0: well slightly well, different.
1: different and I think that somehow we just got all of those too so I think at a very early age I was left alone with television I would watch absolutely anything <laughs> (laughs) and that was just part of it like so I think I saw some of that like none of it was hardcore porn because I remember when I first saw hardcore (laughs) porn and I was like this is disgusting (laughs) I was like a teenager this is
0: nothing like the uh, softcore porn I watched as a young girl (laughs) no I had
1: um I had some friends bring over some hardcore porn that thought was funny it was like a parody of clue called screw (laughs) um so that was the first time i saw penetration i guess and like it was like on
2: insertion you know
1: you know what i mean and i remember thinking i don't I didn't know that's what porn was like i thought porn was literally just topless women mm-hmm. like walking around sexily like around a pool table <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it's mostly walking based That's
1: you know like i that's because that's what was on like spice and playboy which came with the stolen pay-per-view which showgirls was on so i definitely first saw showgirls on stolen pay-per-view because what how else would i have seen this movie at such a young age but um I mean
2: your
0: mom might have just taken you to it I don't know
1: <laughs> but that was probably one of the first things that was very explicit when I was young was showgirls
2: I'm just imagining Becky's mom walking her into the theater and asking, so can the theater manager fast forward during these scenes that are explicit? (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's not how movies work. No,
1: my mom is actually very, like, she is not into sex in movies. Like, she is kind of, sorry, mom, kind of prudish in that way. (laughs) Like, um, you know, she's just not into that. So it's not like she's like taking me to see hardcore porn or anything. Um, anytime, <laughs> well, we, at least there's a line. Anytime we've seen a movie, like we see art house movies, and anytime there's like sex scenes in them, like she doesn't like those scenes. Um, so it's just funny that like <laughs> how much she didn't wa- watch what I was watching because a lot of a lot of sex scenes sl- slipped in there, <laughs> Seth. <laughs> so
2: Becky, you said if not for stolen pay per view, how would you have watched Showgirls? Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my household, my father would often serve as the facilitator of uh, watchings of material that was objectionable to other members of the household, namely my mom. I would go in their room and we had cable. So I, like, that's how I would watch, like, Terminator 2 or terminator one in that order (laughs) i remember very specifically he made it possible for me to sneak in and watch showgirls when it came on uh showtime cable wait he
1: wanted you to watch it
2: no i wanted to watch it
1: and he let you yeah how old were you like 12 or 13 like the difference is that my mom didn't to facilitate this. It just happened when she wasn't watching. Yeah, this is actually
0: getting weirder than back Yeah,
1: she just wasn't paying attention. Yours, your dad was. Your dad was like you.
0: actively like distracting your mom. Like, look over here. That's <laughs> yeah, not watching porn. I don't
1: think. I don't think
2: it was that active a situation. There weren't deployments of countermeasures and, and flash grenades that went off to draw that my mom's attention of. elsewhere. I mean, like we would as a family usually not watch TV together. The way I worded it makes it sound like like Like, we were more together than we actually were (laughs) at the time. Uh, We would usually, by some point in the night, be watching our own TV programs on separate TVs in separate rooms anyway. So I don't think it had to be all that active. So you didn't
1: watch Showgirls with your dad? (laughs) No.
2: That was not the plan or the result at all. But what did you see it on? It was on Showtime or something? Yeah, it was on either Showtime or Cinemax. I think we had pretty much like, all the movie channels like that. We never had, like, Playboy channel or Spice channel or anything of that uh, overtly adult sort. But, yeah, I got to watch a lot of uh, dirty, raunchy movies. Um, And Showgirls was the first kind of full-on nudity type scenario that I witnessed. Uh, Chris, how about you?
0: Well, unlike Becky and Seth, my parents did not Tacitly or explicitly allow me to watch pornography. <laughs> I'm the odd man out here. Apparently, I was I was forbidden from
1: forbidden. <laughs> you, thou art forbidden, my child. Are you still forbidden? they just tell if it you. were up to them, probably. <laughs>
0: But I'm able to sneak it in every now and then. Okay. I was not allowed to watch rated R movies even until I was about 15. Like, I I might have seen, like, one or two here and there, but I really didn't see very much of that. And then by that time, I was, like, reading Entertainment Weekly, so I would kind of know what movies were okay to watch with parents and not okay. Like, and I would pretty much not want to see anything that was very sexual with my parents. I snuck into Shakespeare in Love (laughs) Whoa. <gasps> because I knew there was like sex in it and like I'm sure that you snuck my snuck
1: in because you knew there was sex in it? <laughs> no,
0: I wanted to see the movie, okay. but I wasn't seventeen, so I couldn't buy a ticket. Got it. So I I know that like probably like my parents would have taken me if I'd asked them, but I was like, mm, I don't know like how sexy this movie's gonna be. So I, instead I went like by myself well, or maybe with a friend.
1: I can't believe that movie is R rated.
2: Mom, I'm horny for Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that was my big teenage rebellion.
1: Quinnip Falco <laughs> barely has breasts in
0: that movie. Like, it's basically like watching a Devin Sawa movie.
2: Yeah, don't you see more of Ray Fine's titties than hers?
1: <laughs> That's just like, honestly, like if I had a teenager and they weren't. 18 or 17, whatever the age is, like, I would show them Shakespeare in Love. Come on.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, like, in retrospect, it's definitely fine. And I don't think they would have objected to me seeing it. I probably even told them that I saw it, but it was okay. It was just because, like, I couldn't get in. But it would probably would have been fine to watch with them, but I just didn't know before mm-hmm. seeing it. So I erred on the side of not watching porn with my parents. <laughs> and, yeah, I, there was, like, scrambled HBO. I remember, like, watching Boogie Nights scrambled for the first time because I, like, really wanted to see it. But it was not something that I... I know I saw it it probably like as a later teenager, but when it first came out, I was like, it was too like awkward to be like, I want to watch this movie about porn. So even though it was because it was like a critically acclaimed. Mm -hmm. So there was that. And I guess the most explicit thing is that there was this weird public access channel that would occasionally show some really weird stuff. There was this entire show, like a woman zooming in and out on her vagina like what? Yeah, it was probably more explicit than anything I could have seen in like a mo- a real movie. It was just like this woman like decided that that was the show and it was all about like how her natural body is beautiful and she would do these like weird breathing exercises and I like stumbled upon that one night and I was like what is this? And it was like Horrifying, oh, that's but, like, magical, though. But, like, That's magical.
2: Like, that's the kind of entertainment you can't buy. Exactly. It's just total gonzo public access. Like, however much an hour it is to just rent that studio out.
0: So, Showgirls is the number one highest-grossing NC-17 film of all time, still. Even though it's considered a box office bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wanted to take a look back a little bit at just uh, the history of the ratings, because it was also the first big studio movie to be released under NC-17 and still is one of the only ones. Like, they're almost always really small movies. As the film business was beginning, there started to be a lot of pressure for censorship of the movies because there was no kind of regulations about what could and couldn't be shown. In 1921, there were over 100 bills for censorship introduced, so Hollywood kind of decided to self-censor themselves a little bit because it would be a lot easier than trying to, like, figure out where which states you could show your movie in and which states you couldn't because something was illegal there. So the Presbyterian elder, Will Hayes, was paid $100,000 a year, the equivalent of $1.4 today, to be president of the MPAA for 25 years to basically just say, like, no tits.
1: That was called the Hayes Code,
0: yes. correct? The Hayes Code was introduced officially in the 30s. And there was a kind of a list of don'ts that it was based on. I will read the points because they are somewhat interesting. Number one is pointed profanity by either title or lip, including the words God, Lord, Jesus, and Christ. Number two is licentious or suggestive nudity, in fact or in silhouette. Three is drugs. Four is any inference of sex perversion. Five is white slavery, (laughs) which I didn't even know was... Threatened to be part of movies? Six is um, interracial relationships. Seven is sex hygiene and venereal diseases. Eight is scenes of actual childbirth, in fact or in silhouette.
2: I can't have my titty shadow or my baby shadow?
0: No. Nine is children's sex organs. 10 is Ridicule of the Clergy.
1: This is a checklist of what's in Showgirls. <laughs>
0: That's what I was going to say. <laughs> the last one is Willful Offense to Any Nation, Race, or Creed. So, yeah. Th- <laughs> I think that Joe Esterhaus's screenplay was based on this. Yeah. The only thing it really doesn't contain is um, children's full of nudity.
1: Jesse Spano. <laughs> okay. Former children.
0: <laughs> There's definitely <laughs> an argument to be made there. So from uh, the 30s to 1968, films were held up to the Hayes Code. They had to be certified in order to... Be released. Betty Boop notably uh, stopped becoming a flap, flapper and had to put on a skirt that made her look like a maid. Wow. Anti-Nazi films were not allowed to be made because they were offensive to Germany. So a lot of there were a lot of filmmakers who wanted to start talking about what was happening in Europe that weren't allowed to.
1: What do you mean? There was a lot of war propaganda in the forties. In the forties,
0: yeah, but in like the late thirties, when like they wanted to make films about what was happening in concentration camps, they couldn't because it was interfering in international affairs. Like very famous movies like Casablanca and Psycho were affected by having to like tame down their content
1: or find creative ways around. Yes. Because I wouldn't exactly call Psycho tame. No. But I would say he didn't show the knife going into her skin, but got creative and how he showed like murder.
0: Exactly. A lot of filmmakers found ways to get around these things or suggest things without showing them. Hitchcock was famously one of them who always tried to push the boundary with a lot of that stuff.
2: But I also do think it's worth saying that this was really overt insane censorship and it was bullshit and it was like obviously restrictive in a way that should not be respected just because it's
1: yeah, I'm still not, done. Yeah.
2: No one was speaking in favor of it, but I think it's important to speak against it because yeah. while while filmmakers did find a way around it, they shouldn't have had to.
0: By, like, the 50s and especially the 60s, filmmakers were really... Some of them were even kind of ignoring it. Like, Some Like It Hot did not pass the Hays Code. Interesting. And um, it still went on to become a hit and was released and everything. So, um, the real threat to the Hays Code was TV and also foreign films. Foreign films were not held up to the same standards, so they had plenty of nudity and would be released here, and people would go see them because... You know, it offered something that they couldn't see at home on TV.
1: Not even nudity, but, like, talking about religion or, you know, just, like, controversial topics. Just, like,
0: adult, like, things that are in adult movies now. Not, like, showgirls adult movies, but...
2: Situations that adults encounter, not, quote-unquote, adult situations. Yes.
0: (laughs) And so, in order to allow them to make movies that could compete with that... So, the MPAA system was created in 1968... It originally had G for general audiences, M for mature, which was then changed to GP, which was then changed to PG, R and X. And X was the uh, most explicit. You've probably heard of X-rated things.
1: I think A Clockwork Orange was X yeah, when it, was. it came
0: out. Yeah, that and Midnight Cowboy. A lot of mm-hmm. famous movies were um, rated X when they came out.
1: And those were nominated for Best Picture, so it's not like... X means no one's going to see your movie or that you're, like, it's smut or something.
0: Yeah, ironically, there's... There was less of a stigma around X-rated movies then than there is now around NC-17 movies. Hmm. They, so they decided to get rid of X because it wasn't trademarked, and porn was also using X. They would use like triple X for like how extreme it was. Like one X would just be like softcore porn, but they didn't really want actual films associated with
2: that. What would two X be? Would that be like just the tip? <laughs> like what is? Because you never see a two X. Yeah,
0: that's true. I don't. I don't know that I have seen a two X. It feels like
2: you didn't do. your research for this
0: (laughs) I did not watch any double x-rated movies (laughs) in preparation for this podcast I apologize to my listeners
1: I'm erect why aren't you erect (laughs)
0: that's the title I want for this episode by the way you got something wrong with your nipples no they're not sticking up stick them up what play with them a little bit pinch them a little You want me to do it for you? I'll do it. NC-17 was introduced in 1990, which meant that no children under 17 could be admitted, even if their mother, like <laughs> Becky's mother, was there saying, let her in. The first film to get an NC-17 rating was Predator 2, huh. but it was recut so that it could be rated R. So the first film that was actually released was called Henry in June, starring Uma Thurman, and it went on to be Oscar-nominated for Best Cinematography. So it's still, there was still some Oscar prestige with it at that point. And it is still the number two rated NC-17 film of all time, even though it really didn't make.
2: Have you seen that? I've never seen that movie. No.
0: And a lot of movies that were originally rated X are now have been like re-rated NC-17. So like Pedro Almodovar movies, he has a lot of NC-17 ones. Um, and as we all know, like a lot of movies would originally get an NC-17 rating and then have to be cut down for theatrical release to get an R.
1: It's because. Um... A blockbuster wouldn't hold NC 17 movies. So, for example, again, my poor mom did not do research, but I really (laughs) wanted to see the movie Kids um, when it was out on video. Um, Kids, how could it not be for kids? Right. But Blockbuster wouldn't carry it. So, we had to go to like our neighborhood mom and pop shop. you know, that did carry nc 17 because Blockbuster wouldn't. But that's a big deal. And also, um, a lot of movie theaters wouldn't carry NC-17s, like maybe the art house cinema would. Yeah. Because... They just didn't, I don't know if it was like a liability thing or they just didn't want to be associated with that kind of content. No, I think content. part of
2: it is that America was going through a big right-wing regression, especially in the 90s and I think the creation of the NC-17 rating was part of that. I think it bears repeating that like this is bullshit censorship at a lot of levels. The MPAA is a completely unaccountable organization. Their members are paid privately to do what they do. They have no accountability to creatives or to the general public or to anyone, and that trickles down, their decisions on those ratings trickle down throughout every facet of the industry. So, exactly like you're saying, Becky, a lot of distributors wouldn't touch those movies. Um, The NC-17 rating did kind of, very overtly in the culture, get kind of rendered as being a rating for smut. Like, it really was, there was kind of that judgmental attitude toward it.
1: And it was almost always sex because yes i know this is a recent movie but like hacksaw ridge i may have never seen a more violent war movie in my life yeah but that's R. Mm -hmm. but something that has something like blue valentine which is like a relationship drama with ryan gosling and michelle williams i think they had a a sex scene where i think they're like going down on each other or something Mm -hmm. and they had to recut it because it was NC 17
0: yeah specifically because it was about the female's pleasure yeah more so than the male's pleasure. Yeah, in so it's scene. like
1: bullshit like that. You'll almost never find a violent movie being NC-17, but you'll find the smallest amount of female pleasure being mm-hmm.
2: NC-17. Yeah, and that kind of puritanical hypocrisy between how sex is seen and how violence is seen, and also between how male pleasure in sex is seen and female pleasure in sex is seen, like, that persists even now... Though I'm sure the MPAA as an organization will tell you that they're very open-minded, you know, I'm sure they would brag about like the diversity of the people who make these decisions. But at the end of the day, they're still there to censor creation and expression.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so even a lot of movies that were released theatrically as NC-17 would be cut down for R ratings for VHS because of like the blockbuster thing. So *Requiem for a Dream* is one of those ass to ass. Is I guess <laughs> a little less explicit than ass it used to, to be. Ass. <laughs> So some of the notable NC-17 films, there are not that many of them. There's only 32 listed on Box Office Mojo, and some of those are, like, really tiny, like, that made, like, a few thousand dollars. So there's under 30 that you've heard of, but some of them are Bad Lieutenant, Orgasmo, The Dreamers, Bad Education, Mysterious Skin, Shame, and Blue is the Warmest Color.
1: That movie deserves that rating. Some of them do, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying, as far as sex goes, like, that movie is basically... Porn with a little bit of a plot around it. But and the, like, <laughs> mysterious
2: skin does not deserve that rating at no, all. No, I
1: yeah.
0: Like, I think it's more because that's disturbing because it's about child rape.
2: Yeah, it's about sexual abuse, yeah. but it's not portrayed in the movie in anywhere near an explicit way. It's per- it's portrayed in a very like symbolic way, mm-hmm. um, overtly so. Like it's it, again, like there's. It's funny, because you like, are ticking these off, and a lot of these are some of my favorite movies of the last yeah. 10 or 20 years, um, but I never sought those movies out like based on that, and I would characterize very few of them, ultimately, as being really explicit in the way that that rating really specifically conveys.
0: I agree, yeah. Blue is the Warmest Color is very explicit, but it it's about homosexuality and female pleasure together, which I Mm -hmm. think is there's probably equally explicit movies that got R ratings but just didn't have those things that tend to set the MPAA off.
2: And on the flip side of that, what's American Psycho's rating? Is that an R? I bet that's an R. Well, that one was actually
0: also, at first got an NC-17. It it might be like unrated hmm. now or something. Oh, interesting. Going unrated was a way to kind of avoid that. Like, if you didn't want your film to be branded as NC-17, you would just, like, not have it submitted at all for a rating.
1: I think that I, when I was younger and starting to get into movies, I, like, would seek out NC-17 movies because I think I understood they're not porn like disguised as a movie, but I wanted to see movies that, you know, weren't afraid to go places. And if it had that branding, it was almost like, oh, I want to see what this filmmaker has done because, obviously, it's going to be interesting
0: yeah, it was great publicity for these movies, I think. I mean, most of them did not go on to become big hits, but I definitely remember hearing about movies like Orgasmo. That was the Trey Parker and Matt Stone's comedy that I probably never would have cared about. But then I was like, oh, it's like this edgy movie. Like, And I, I think I did end up seeing it on video or something, just mostly probably because it got that much attention. And otherwise, I never would have like thought very much about that movie. And Blue is the Warmest Color is the last major movie released with an NC-17 rating, and that was back in 2013. So it's basically not even used anymore.
1: I mean, maybe that's good. Like, we've chilled out a little. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I Yeah.
0: I think also TV is kind of, again, changing that because there's not really a standard for what can be shown on TV, and a lot of TV these days is fairly explicit. So it's a weird double standard that like, you wouldn't be able to see it in a movie theater, but you can on, like, like, tons of kids have like Netflix accounts and stuff. So yeah, it's all hypocrisy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It's amazing what paint and a surgeon can do. You have great tits. They're really beautiful. Thank you. I like nice tits. (laughs) I always have. How about you? I like having nice tits. How do you like having them? What do you mean? You know what I mean.
0: So as I mentioned, Showgirls was the first studio film to be rated NC seventeen and it was baked in from the beginning. There was no way that Showgirls was like trying to pass for an R rating, or if they mm. like tried to cut it out, it would have just been like a five minute short <laughs> <laughs> about eating chips <laughs> and shopping <I> like
1: burgers. <laughs> and <laughs> bad <end>. dancing.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was also the widest release of an NC seventeen film and still is in over a thousand theaters and is the highest grossing NC seventeen film of all time. Hmm. Showgirls was directed by Paul Verhoeven, a Dutch filmmaker who made Total Recall in 1990 and Basic Instinct in 1992. Basic Instinct was also rated NC-17 at first, but then was recut to be released. And uh, both of those movies grossed over $100 million, So
1: Rated R, and yet still has labia in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but less labia than the original one. But, but still like labia. Shadow labia, come on. <laughs> That was the original title, Shadow Lobby.
1: <laughs> it fits. It fits that movie,
2: <laughs> as do they.
0: <laughs> so Paul Verhoeven was raised right next to the German headquarters in Netherlands during World War II. Wow! And so he grew up seeing like dead bodies in the streets and buildings on fire. His neighbor's house was bombed. So when you look at the kind of movies that he does, that really checks out. I think like you're like okay, yeah, that makes sense. Showgirls was written by Joe Esterhaus, who was born in Hungary, raised in a refugee camp in Austria in the 40s, and then moved to New York City. He was a journalist for Rolling Stone for a while. And then in the 80s, he discovered that his father was a Nazi collaborator and refused to ever speak to him again.
1: Wow. Holy shit. We got some dark histories here with the Showgirls Joe,
2: team. I knew Joe Estherhaus was a badass, and I had no idea about any of this.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, right? Are That's you going
1: to tell intense. me that like Elizabeth Berkeley was like a child sex slave <laughs> or something? Like, no, dark?
2: don't be silly. She was a child Nazi.
0: <laughs> so Estherhaus's first screenplay was called Fist, F I S T, starring Sylvester Stallone. It stood for Federation of Interstate Truckers.
2: And- <laughs> That took a turn. And his fist.
0: (laughs) Yes. He likes to have um, a movie star and their body part.
2: (laughs) Wait, so Fist? This was an actual movie that got made? Yeah. And it's not the movie Over the Top, which is about Sylvester Stallone as a truck driver trying to win an arm wrestling contest, a.k.a. using his fist? Like... Not justice fist. Like, did Stallone have a whole subgenre of fist-based <laughs> movies that I didn't know about?
1: Does that surprise you?
0: <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Stallone also was, like, in, like, weird softcore porn, but...
1: Mm. This is true.
3: Yes.
0: He next co-wrote Flashdance and continued on with erotic thrillers like Jagged Edge, Sliver, Jade. He got over $3 million wow. for the script for Basic Instinct. His next script was called Sacred Cows... It was about the US president having sex with a cow.
1: Which US president? A
0: fictional like, like one. Like a future okay. It got three it got him three quarter of a million dollars and they were planning to make it, but then Bill Clinton's like actual sex scandals
1: came out. And so everyone
0: thought that this was like about bill clinton even though it wasn't so
1: do they think they were making fun of monica Lewinsky in this like scenario
0: no i it might have actually been before like she was part of it oh, okay. but it was like and it
2: could have been a whole like volcano dante's peak situation with wag the dog why didn't they do
1: it I, isn't that good timing i know that's actually come on crazy
0: i mean i think at this time uh people were <laughs> upset about the president and and porn what's that about yeah innocent times the Jade script sold for $4 million. Oh my god. That does not repay, I don't think.
2: <laughs> That's not a $4 million script.
0: He wrote the idea for Showgirls down on a napkin and got $2 million.
1: <laughs> I think the whole screenplay was written on a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> that same napkin. <laughs>
0: What did he write on a napkin?
1: <laughs>
3: Tits.
0: <laughs> that is literally what I was thinking. With maybe like in Vegas?
2: <laughs> he wrote that later with a different color pen so you could tell it wasn't at the same time. He had to come back to. It. <laughs> he got
0: another 1.7 million when it was produced, so almost 4 million oh my for God. that script. That hurts my feelings. (laughs) As a human, as a screenwriter.
2: Oh, wow.
0: Esther choice for Crystal Connors was Madonna.
2: I can can see it. I can see it. I can totally see it.
0: He wanted Drew Barrymore for Nomi. Mm. Which I could actually also see. She
1: had a moment in time where she was kind of doing stuff like that.
0: Yeah. The reason Madonna, also known as Madu, they call call (laughs) her Madu... I don't know, that's, like, their nickname
2: for her? <laughs> they didn't even get her in the movie and they have a pet name for her? Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> she had ideas for the script, and...
1: <laughs> Can't have a woman thinking.
0: Verhoeven did not like her ideas, so she... I hire
2: my on. women for titin', not for talking. <laughs> See ya.
0: So there's an alternate reality where Madonna was in Showgirls and not Evita, I guess, because this was kind of the same time. <laughs> and where she was named Madu. <laughs> Dude. For the actual casting of Nomi Malone, Jenny McCarthy was the front runner. Ooh.
1: I can also see that.
0: Until she, it was learned she could not dance either.
1: But, <laughs> I mean. Ooh, uh. So the I thing mean... is, Elizabeth Berkley
0: was trained as a dancer since she was four.
1: Trained by
0: <laughs> monkeys.
2: Was she trained by a serial killer? Mm.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I meant she was
2: hit by a train <laughs> when she was four. <laughs> And that's why she dances like that. (laughs) That checks out. That makes more sense, okay?
0: (laughs) For the purposes of this film, Esther Haas and Verhoeven interviewed 200 strippers so that they could really get it right. (laughs) Esther Haas also famously encouraged teens to use fake IDs to go see the film because he thought it had a good moral
2: message. Wait, which part of it was a good moral message? What? The end.
1: (laughs) The part where he makes money. (laughs) (laughs)
2: showgirls
0: was released on september 22nd 1995 it cost 45 million to make its opening weekend was 8.1 million which was fine uh its ultimate domestic gross was 20 million it was widely seen as a flop it was not critically beloved (laughs) no (laughs) The film opened the same weekend as David Fincher's Seven, which did better.
1: I can't imagine those two movies in the same, like, at the same time time period.
0: Isn't it weird? Because it's like Seven still feels like a modern movie. Like I like look back at that, and I'm like, that's part of like what we're still doing in cinema. And Showgirls is like, no, that's that's an old movie. We were
1: never doing that in cinema though. Before, (laughs) like Showgirls is never before, never again. (laughs) (laughs) That's what makes it so special.
0: So, Elizabeth Berkeley, this was her first film role out of Saved by the Bell. She was obviously a teen star, and she played a very wholesome character on Save by the Bell, for those who did not see it.
1: She was, like, the the very smart girl. I think she was the valedictorian of Bayside High. Oh, yeah. Feminist. Total
2: overachiever. How long did Saved by the Bell run? How many years was that? Do you know?
1: I want to say, well, she was in the college years as well. Oh, she was? Yeah, yeah. I want to say, like, at least six Years plus college years. Yeah,
2: it's something like that. Do you know if she was a classically trained actress? Or if she learned on set in Saved by the Bell?
0: I think she was like a model and a, but she was an actress before.
1: She too. was a fine actress on Safe by the Bell in terms of like she is a Saturday morning sitcom star. Totally. You know? I totally agree.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh Gina Grishon, this was her first big role, uh just before Bound. Mm. Uh. And Kyle MacLachlan was known in the 80s for Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks, but this was his first role after the Flintstones.
1: (laughs) Who was he on the Flintstones? Like the boss or something? He was the bad guy. Oh, the bad guy.
0: Halle Berry's boss, actually.
1: It's like
2: Rockley or you something Sharon dumb Stone. Like you something mean Sharon Stone? stone? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin's name
2: was Sharon Stone. No, Halle Berry's name. Why well, oh, wasn't it Kyle was? Oh one... my God. Easy.
0: <laughs> they, missed, they missed so much.
2: The real story of this podcast is how we should do all the movies. Because honestly.
1: <laughs> Can we make a pact right now that we'll never do the Flintstones movies?
2: <laughs> I. I agree with that pact. I immediately. don't think we
1: need to.
0: On the next episode of
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: We Now Have to Do It,
2: no, we don't. We really don't.
0: The plot of Showgirls, I will. I will sum it up for those who
1: <laughs> tits. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get That's out sorry. my
0: napkin. <laughs> for those who haven't read the napkin. I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, you should really, like, do yourself a favor. Go watch it right now. Invite and us.
3: We <laughs> will come over.
2: Yes. You guys, we're not doing anything right now. Just have us over to watch Showgirls <laughs> with you.
0: Uh, the story. <clears throat> <laughs> Nomi Malone is an aspiring young dancer from different places. <laughs> She hitchhikes to Vegas to become a dancer, but can only get work as a stripper until she meets Crystal Connors, who takes an interest in her and helps her get cast in the musical Goddess. But a catfight rivalry happens? (laughs) She and Crystal have a very complicated or maybe just confusing relationship where they're friends and lovers and pushing each other down the stairs. So it becomes a backstage drama and rape revenge thriller that could also probably be called A Star is Porn. (laughs)
1: I was going to say, uh, it's all about Eve. Modern-day porn all about Eve.
2: <laughs> all about Snatch. <laughs> and my version of that was that this is secretly a movie about a woman with an eating disorder where she compulsively eats burgers, who also happens to enjoy getting naked and dancing violently.
0: Who doesn't? My alternate theory for this movie is that <laughs> it is just a continuation of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> It's Saved by the Bell, the stripper years, and she just didn't kick her speed habit, and that's why she's Mm -hmm. so angry and animated all the time.
2: A lot of competing
0: theories here. As I mentioned, uh, the movie was not an overwhelming critical success. The typical critical reaction can be summed up by this review from Kenneth Turan of the LA Times. Lacking the combustible Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas in leading roles, Showgirls descends into incoherent tedium. Though the filmmakers' incessant talk about vision, artistry, and honest self-expression lead one to expect a sexually explicit biopic about the Dalai Lama, what is in fact provided is depressing and disappointing as well as dehumanizing.
1: It's a weird review.
2: It's a really shitty review.
0: But that's actually, like, what a lot of the reviews sounded like. They were very... They called it boring, and they called it very dehumanizing, and just very... They called it bad, obviously, but it was... They weren't latching on to the kind of campy aspects of it, really. They were really, like, more taking it seriously.
2: I would call this movie anything but boring. Much as the movie does seem like it's being performed by aliens... It's not dehumanizing. It's more like superhuman in a way. <laughs> yeah.
0: There were a few critics who kind of got the joke of the movie <laughs> that we kind of get nowadays. Entertainment Weekly gave it a C plus. Owen Gleiberman said, as Nomi, Elizabeth Berkley has exactly two emotions, hot and bothered, but her party doll blowsiness works for the picture. And also said, Showgirls is a stripper that thinks it's a dancer. <laughs> Which I think is a pretty good. I like that. That's, yeah. that.
2: that's much better. I like
0: that. Uh, in USA Today, a woman named Susan, whose last name I will not try and pronounce, called it a hoot with hooters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that was... Yeah. She only
0: wrote it for the line. And also said, who knew such a seamy swim in the misogynistic swill of life could be so entertaining? Okay, lady, you love alliteration. <laughs> we get it. What about our favorite critic? I did not... I think Rita might have sat this one out. <laughs> oh, wow. So, I never saw showgirls as a young child... <laughs> Or a teenager, I think I was in college. I'm pretty sure that Becky is the one who voiced it upon me.
1: It's likely, <laughs> I definitely bought it for one of your birthdays. It was like the extreme edition, like it was VIP, a, mm-hmm. VIP edition. It came with shot glasses and like pasties. a pin, a pin the pasties on the showgirl. I'm
2: wearing the pasties now
1: <laughs> and a, a blindfold. It was a whole thing. Yeah. You're welcome. It
2: was, yeah, it was a big to do, and I believe that you received that gift at the time, Chris, that you and I were living together. Because oh. I distinctly remember that box set and all of its oh
0: You distinctly content. remember borrowing those pasties.
1: You hadn't yeah. seen Showgirls until like you were done with college.
0: Maybe I had seen it once before, but it was that I d- did not see it like before college. That's for sure. I would remember. <laughs> 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 I would have been crying in the would corner. have been burned into your memory by that. So we talked about your first Showgirls, but had you guys seen it multiple times, or what was your history with the movie up until we decided to Showgirls it up on the <laughs> podcast?
2: So like I was saying earlier, Showgirls was the first movie I had ever seen of its kind. Um, <laughs> well, there are no other movies of
0: its kind. So. <laughs> That's true.
2: No, it's, it's one in a million. But I had not only never before seen something as sexually explicit as this, I also don't remember in my life having ever watched a movie that I enjoyed ironically. I f- I really think like especially like rewatching it and thinking back in preparation for this episode I think Showgirls was the first movie I loved ironically um in the sense that you know it is a movie that very clearly wants to take itself seriously and fails spectacularly on its own merits and I just loved that and I loved the insanity of it um, even at the time, and I didn't necessarily like see it as a movie that was that that was sexy to me it wasn't a movie that turned me on um and I was not uh I was not out at the time, but I also did not have like a fully formed idea of what my sexuality was personally at did all. Did
0: showgirls make you decide that you were emphatically gay?
2: Yeah, that's what I was winding up to. Oh, I'm only into
1: men because showgirls is terrible. <laughs>
2: right. Well, and there's a line. And there's a line in the movie. I got a problem with pussy, and I was like, wow, this guy has some good, interesting thoughts. Uh, Yeah, so I didn't see it as a sexy thing at all. I saw it as this obviously unintentional comedy, and it really was kind of a movie that got me started watching bad movies for irony's sake.
1: I have to agree that that's probably the first movie. I love a good bad movie. Oh, man. Um, And it probably started with Showgirls. I think maybe the first few times I caught it, When I was 12, I probably thought it was supposed to be serious, and I was more, like, intrigued, like, oh, they're going there. Like, I'm seeing things I haven't seen in other movies, or other boards, for that matter. Well, that's,
2: yeah, and that's definitely true. That part is not a lie or irony at all. Like, there is stuff in this movie that you will not see anywhere else. No, I think the Playboy
1: channel was more about toplessness than, like, here's my keep saying the word labia (laughs) that's the (laughs) word of the day hey kids
2: (laughs) confetti just fell from the ceiling and the confetti shaped like titties
1: (laughs) i don't know at what point and i must have watched this movie a lot because literally stolen pay-per-view was just on so whatever was playing i watched it um i don't know at what point i realized that it was so bad that it's good but Pretty quickly, I think, because I guess I went into college thinking this movie was so funny, um, and I guess I showed it to Chris at some point. And I do remember whenever I would throw parties in my apartments in college, I would just put it on in the background, like that. W- there would be like music playing, but I would want something just to be on TV, and it would always just be Showgirls, <laughs> always. And I, I I specifically remember one party where people just stopped like partying and they just sat down <laughs> and watched Showgirls because it's great um i've i i would say that this movie is probably one of my favorite movies ever yeah it is like it's so entertaining and i guess we're gonna talk about what we feel now but i think it's kind of obvious now but um <laughs> i i've always had a thing for this movie somewhere like in my heart of just how
0: is that where is
1: that where it is in my labia um <laughs> let's see how many times <laughs> i can come up today um,
2: if you guess how many times we say labia in this episode we'll send you nothing yeah <laughs>
1: I used to be on a sketch team at Upright Citizens Brigade in Hollywood, and um, I wrote a Basic Instinct sketch, uh, or a sketch based off of Basic Instincts, And somebody in the same meeting that my sketch team had had also like a a sketch based off of like Total Recall, which is another Paul Verhoeven movie. And then all of a sudden, like all of us were like, "Oh my god, we should do a a Paul Verhoeven show!" And every sketch is a different Paul Verhoeven movie. And it was like the greatest thing ever. We called it (laughs) (laughs) Vershoven. That's perfect. And my basic instinct sketch didn't get in, but I was like, "I don't care. I'm doing Showgirls. Like I call Showgirls." (laughs) And. so my sketch was based off the fact that so the basic cable version of Showgirls, if you've ever seen it, there's no nudity. <laughs> but they have uh you know those black sensor bars? Well they have them in the shape of bras <laughs> that are just hovering over the actresses. <laughs> so anytime they're moving, the the black bra has to hover with them.
2: <laughs> That's a kind of special effect you don't always yeah. get.
1: And obviously they like they like cut out all the cursing and all the graphic language, which is like half the fun, but like <laughs> also the nudity. But I'm like, this I'd, is the
0: other half of the fun. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just like, why even bother putting this on? I think it was VH1 would play Showgirls a lot because oh VH1, why? like at that what? at that point, it was like known to be a campy cult movie, and so they would play oh, okay. it. But like, they can't show. Like, what's the fucking point? Like, you can't curse or show nudity, but like, they would put the black bras. So my sketch was um showgirls the basic cable version and all of the um they we had like somebody in the booth whenever there would be like actual lines from the movie but it would be like something dirty they would like cover it up with like kittens (laughs) poodle um and i had uh we had i cut out black bras like (laughs) out of construction paper and like taped them to our boobs so that they were that was like covering um it was great it was one of my uh life accomplishments was that sketch. <laughs> I think I played I definitely I think I was the Gina Gershon character. I think so. Um I wouldn't dare to touch Nomi. <laughs> like <laughs> Um yeah, that was one of my favorite things. I just Showgirls is the best and I think I bought it for Chris and then borrowed it, lost it, bought it for him again and then bought it for myself. <laughs> Because I was like, why don't I own this yet? For some reason, like, I never owned it. I think it was... Or maybe I had... I don't know. I must have just kept borrowing it from you. And I'm like, (laughs) I should just own this at this point.
0: (laughs) Never not buying Showgirls. Yeah, so
1: I think I've bought it three different times in my life. (laughs) I have very fond memories of this movie.
0: (laughs) Seth, have you seen it recently before we watched it for the podcast?
2: Yeah, I've rewatched it several times over the years. um, And I just laugh my ass off every time I watch it. I love so many elements of it, which I will now list The off tits and my- the vaginas. <laughs> yeah, it's got everything. <laughs> all three of the things that you need. Um, that's really it. That's it. I just enjoy it on such a pure, like, popcorn movie level, because everyone involved is clearly completely committed to completely doing their relative best with the material or or with the situations they're in. And it fails in a spectacular way. It's just funny to me that Becky, you and I, and, and Chris, like all see this as such a funny, campy movie because, um... Someone used to be a friend of mine back in college actually worked with Paul Verhoeven, the director of this movie, on the restoration of the film in preparation for its Blu-ray release. And according to him, Paul Verhoeven saw Showgirls as his raging bull. And that is (laughs) verbatim. It's raging bullshit. (laughs) Sure. Or raging boobs. You know, there are any number of ways to spin it. Um, But... Verhoven took this at complete face value. He really did see it as a kind of like a sports movie in a sense, um someone rising up through the ranks, um coming from the wrong side of the tracks. He really s- approached this movie apparently um from a very earnest and serious position.
1: So he's Tommy Wiseau.
2: <laughs> yeah, p- yeah, to to some extent. And and I do think that Part of the reason it's so funny is because it is being made in a completely serious way. It's not being made as a movie that's making fun of itself.
1: Well, that's why whenever they make those like Sharknado movies, you know, they're bad. They're not even like funny bad. Oh, I disagree. (laughs) Wait, really? No. 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 (laughs)
2: They're on Chris's top 10 every year. You
1: can't go out of your way to make a bad funny movie, like a bad entertaining movie. You have to be completely serious, and that's what's funny is how how much you're failing at creating something that's actually good of quality.
0: Yeah, I think like some people enjoy Sharknado movies, but I've never watched them for kind of the same reasons. It's really the about the ambition and the mm-hmm. amb- ambition that fails is really like the funniest part. When I went back into Showgirls uh, for this podcast. I was really determined cuz I've always watched the movie and enjoyed it and not really thought that much about it but I was very determined to find the source of the badness.
1: <laughs> it's coming at you from every angle. Yes, I know. I was like
0: I'm really <laughs> going to like dig through this and find out why this movie is bad because it's bad but in a really like unusual way. It's not like the room where it's like a singular vision where it's like, it's very clear to see what happened with the room as he was like very passionate about that. He tried to do everything himself and he just kind of failed at it. But this is like multiple people's badness, like yeah, all this working is, in concert. This is a
2: team coming together to create this vision that is completely a mess and incoherent and hilarious.
1: It's funny that you say that. I guess we're if we're kinda kinda talking about the movie now, like I actually think what's funny about it is that it actually like looks nice. <laughs> like like it's something with this terrible acting and script and plot usually has terrible sound. Mm-hmm. Or you can't see part of the screen because the cinematographer doesn't know how to light the scene or, you know, Things like that.
2: Yeah, there weren't as many boom mics in this yeah, movie as I expected no to see. <laughs> mics, yes, yes. <laughs> there's no boom mics in the shot. yes, yes.
1: There's no boom mics in the shot. Like, it's not like how the room looks or Birdemic or... Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it actually looks like if you just had it on and it wasn't like a crazy... Swim flop scene, like you'd think it would be almost like a normal movie. You know, if you weren't listening to anything oh, if you weren't watching or listening to it, it's almost a normal movie. You know what I mean? But like it looks nice, and that's what's so crazy about it is that this is a big studio movie with pe- some people who clearly know what they're doing on set, with other people that don't. <laughs> and usually, and usually they're not working together. It's usually a bunch of nincompoops.
0: Preparing for this, I looked a little bit about what people were saying about it now. There are many academic essays on this movie. I read the screenplay (laughs) by Joe Esterhaus. Off the napkin? Uh, No, it was actually on paper. (laughs) So I got a lot of interesting perspective on this film that I did (laughs) not have beforehand. So let's dive in to...
1: Her labia. I don't think that's... Is that possible? No, you let, you dive into a vagina.
0: So, okay, I, I do want to talk about the very opening shot of this movie. <laughs> yes! <laughs> it appears to be Nomi stomping out of a Sears. <laughs> <laughs> it's I don't know if it's a Sears or, like, a strip mall. No, it's a Sears. Oh, it's a Sears in you the later, very first shot? It, it's So the shot is, like, behind her, so you don't know where she's stomping from. But in later scenes, you see that she's in front of a Sears. And I'm like, What? <laughs>
1: In like Denver? Is that where she is? No, no,
2: no. it's in Utah. Utah. No, so I made a note of the first scene, and I thought she was coming out of a like a strip mall. There may have been strip a Sears nearby, right? <laughs> no, because I I I thought the movie was being that obvious in setting it up, but she's in Utah. On the signs outside the strip mall stores, there's one that says Salt Lake Spas, and oh, it's okay. like a pool supply store or something. I was like desperately looking for clues as to like. What is one of the different places that this woman comes from (laughs) it feels like she
0: was like created on an alien planet and then just dropped down and stopped it's like what was she doing
2: right before this she didn't
1: exist before she just (laughs) appeared on camera she got
2: plopped into the sears uh mattress department she was in the bedding aisle and she just left and that was she should have stayed there (laughs) her
1: face looks so messed up from shot one (laughs) (laughs) okay
2: this that was the second note my first note was on the first shot of the movie (laughs) The second note was on how alien her face looks. I think it's her lips. I think yeah. that's the feature that throws me off the it's most.
1: It's the 90s makeup, like, times 10 on it, her face. It feels
0: like they did a lot of collagen in it before, like, collagen was really,
2: like, that much of a thing. And also, like, they injected it the hour before they rolled. <laughs> like, it was Possible. fresh. She
1: just looks from the moment we see her face something is wrong and she's ordinarily like a beautiful she's beautiful Elizabeth yeah. Berkeley I think she is a beautiful woman but not in that, not in a lot of this movie but also not in that first shot the very first time we see her was just like oh
0: yeah uh, okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're going frame by frame of this movie <laughs>
0: the fifth frame of this film <laughs> <laughs> they make so many choices <laughs> But the way that they dress her, the whole script is, like, about how she's not a whore. <laughs> she looks exactly like a whore. Like, you could not, like, picture a whore in your mind
2: if that's what comes to mind. And in, in the film, she unlocks different levels of looking like a whore. But yes. throughout, there's a specific whoreiness. Yeah. She's always wearing, like,
0: cheetah print or leopard print. Her like, boobs
1: are always out. Yeah. or When, when they're not... When they're actually out, but when they're covered (laughs) by something, they're still out. (laughs)
0: It's just, like, a sign that, like, the costume designer wasn't, like, paying attention to, like, what the script was actually calling for because maybe if you dressed her, like, more like a normal person, you know, if she was, like, casual, and then she's, like, offended that this guy is, like, hitting on her. But she looks like she's a prostitute. isn't
1: that the point that she's in denial? Because, spoiler alert, she was a prostitute. (laughs) Um, And that's, like, the big secret of the movie. But, like, she actually was. So isn't the point she's in it's denial. It's an open secret. It's <laughs> secret.
0: So, she gets into a truck with an elvis E guy who is the also model. wearing
1: lipstick. He looks like he has bad plastic surgery and this is the first person's face we see in the movie before we see her face, I think. Or it's the second person.
0: Either way, both faces are busted. Yeah.
1: Oh. It looks like he's wearing a mask. <laughs>
2: I think they cast him just so you have, like, a normalized baseline for what looks like a human alongside Elizabeth Berkeley.
1: There have got to be... I get it. They, like... Got a guy they wanted a, like an Elvisy guy to be like, Yeah, of course I'm going to Las Vegas. There's gotta be ten thousand people dressed as you know, can that can do an Elvis look without looking like he's wearing an Elvis mask. <laughs> or
2: right. like he we're like, looking like he like raided Elvis's grave and took his yes. facial remains. Like it actually
0: would have been better if it was just an actual like Elvis impersonator Then yeah. she'd have been like, Oh cool, you're going to Vegas. I get it. Yeah. Something like that. Instead it's like, I don't even know like who this guy is. So he takes her to Vegas. We really are going through... But we just have to, like, at this point in the movie.
1: (laughs) There's so much in the first, like, 15 minutes alone that I feel like...
0: (laughs) So in the space of about three minutes... Most of it is in the space of one minute, I counted, but I decided to pad it out. She snatches $10 from him and then starts gambling, pulling the lever so aggressively... She goes running through the street, beats on a stranger's car, gets into a fight with the stranger, vomits, then runs back into the road, (laughs) almost gets hit by a car, then starts filing her nails aggressively, stabbing a straw into her cup. She grabs the fries angrily, pours ketchup on them angrily, and then spills all the fries. All in, like, a few minutes. (laughs) Yeah, like,
2: this movie really does start with a bang um, that appears to be an obvious mental breakdown. Um, (laughs) and, And every step that you described, Chris, is exactly in order. I think for me, the part of it that still leaps out as the most surprising is her spontaneous vomiting. (laughs) Because you said she's, like, fighting this woman who...
1: What's the woman's name?
2: Molly. Molly. And Molly is a seamstress at the casino that Nomi ends up dancing at. Yes. And Molly ends up immediately becoming her best friend, taking her in for free as a roommate.
1: And this is a recurring theme in this movie of people going out of their way for this woman.
2: Oh, immediately.
1: Nomi hits her car, vomits, runs in traffic, looks into her eyes like she's about to kiss Molly, and then Molly is a complete stranger, buys her food, and offers up her apartment as a place to stay. Yeah,
2: and this seems to be the early process for Nomi whenever encountering any new people. She has to do a fight or vomit instinct that she runs through. Why choose? Yeah, in this particular case, she does a yes and, like we learn in improv. Uh, She... Kinda half fights Molly, and then she completely just horses up God knows what on the road.
0: She's definitely like a very unstable person that you would not invite back to your apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for any reason. She's not
2: the kind of person you take in sight unseen.
1: So maybe this is too early for this question, but like, is she the villain? Or is she the protagonist? Is she an anti-hero?
2: Um, here's my question: Are any of these people real? <laughs> Or is she just wandering down the road in a complete is <laughs> hallucinating, her life falling into place in front of her eyes? No,
1: but, like, literally, it feels like she is supposed to be this femme fatale in, like, a noir kind of crime caper thing. But she's so unlikable in every way that it almost feels like she's the villain.
0: So I read the screenplay. In the screenplay, she is constantly described as a little girl... It's written for her to be, like, this very, like, girlish, like, 17-year-old. I think Mm. she's, like, she looks very young. And, like, all the dialogue is the same, but it's not, like, really written in the way that it ends up (laughs) coming across. And so, like, I can see how in the screenplay, like, if you, like, see, oh, this, like, girl is, like, upset and she's, like, acting out, but she's, um... A teenager? Yeah, she's a teenager. She needs help. If she wasn't dressed like
1: <laughs> a forty-year-old whore, a whore. <laughs> it's
0: it, it's just like it's so many different ideas, and I feel like so the screenplay is definitely going for her as she's like an offbeat heroine because she's not a saint, but she's also not she's definitely not like the villain of that.
1: So she has like a moral compass,
0: right? Yes. Or is she yes.
1: manipulative? Manipu- manipulative In the script.
0: No, she's more, she has a moral compass. I mean, she kind of like loses her innocence in moments when she like shoves Crystal down the stairs, mm -hmm. but mostly it doesn't read as like she is a total bitch all the time (laughs) and a psycho. What kind of classes have you had?
2: Ice skating classes, Mr. Moss. Ballet classes, technique classes, stretch classes, jazz classes, jazz technique classes.
0: This show is called Goddess. It ain't called classes. See ya. What kind of
2: classes have you had?
3: I haven't had classes.
2: Then what are you doing here?
3: I'm watching you be a prick.
2: <laughs> we well, ain't seen nothing yet. And it sounds like Chris, what you're saying is like she's less, she's more freshly a little girl lost in the actual script. Mm-hmm. Whereas Becky, like the version of Nomi in the movie, is like little girl got lost like ten years ago, yeah. <laughs> and has definitely had to claw her way. Through. And then she Since. found
0: some collagen.
2: <laughs> About an she hour ago, she found a
0: switchblade in a dumpster behind the IHOP. Yeah. So, but Paul Verhoeven's movie, I think, in his mind, she is a villain and she is unlikable. And like, I feel like he's weirdly like judgmental of her or mm-hmm. something. Like, like he hates her. I feel like. Oh,
2: I di- no, I disagree with that. What? Totally. No, I don't. I don't think he hates her. I don't think. I don't think the movie judges her. I think she, I think Verhoeven's vision of her is as an anti-hero, like in Raging Bull, where Jake LaMotta is a piece of shit. Jake LaMotta beats his wife, but at the end of the movie, you're still following every single frame of it, hoping to see what Jake LaMotta does next. Like I think Nomi is supposed to be set up as this uh, epic, iconic anti-hero again, like rising through the ranks, fighting in her like imperfect, flawed way. Um... But again, I think she just comes off as cartoonishly villainous. Yeah, I actually
0: think that that's probably a better way of putting it than I, than I did. That it, it, it is kind of like a very much a Raging Bull character <laughs>
3: <laughs> attempt. I think,
2: and I also think as much of it is about, like you're kind of inferring, like performance choices on Elizabeth Berkeley's part. <laughs> <laughs> what did she have in her suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like in Pulp Fiction. It's just a MacGuffin. There's like a golden light, and that's all that you know. Because- oh, yeah, that's
1: the one where the Elvis guy steals it, and then l- <laughs> in the last scene of the movie, oh, but coincidence, I ran into you. Give me my suitcase back. We
0: learned that she's a prostitute who has nothing. So whatever's in her suitcase is probably like... Some cheap panties.
1: Didn't they make some, um, they infer that she's, like, got some mob ties or something? Because what I was thinking is, like, maybe her, maybe she only had money in the suitcase and she lost the money, so that's why she was so upset, is that she had bigger plans for Vegas with that money, and then...
0: She might have had some money in there, but, like, you need to know, because, like, if she had money, that changes the whole story, is that she had money and she was, like, gonna make it and then... That's like she's set up as this character who has nothing, and I assume that she did have nothing because it doesn't say that she has money. So
2: I'm just like, and she seems like a character who is manipulative, but not like one who would totally lie about herself, you know? Like, she you can tell she's scheming, but she's not smart enough to like scheme without everyone seeing that she's scheming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so I don't think that. I don't think that she had a ton of money in that suitcase. I think it was probably just that it was literally her only life possessions that she had left.
0: Right, but I, then I want to know, like, what did she? What did, like if she actually had something from like her mom or something that meant right. something to her? That would at least give me some sympathy. Than this like generic suitcase that I'm like, why do you even care if he you stole your suitcase? she
2: like- has got a birth certificate in it, and the birth certificate says she was born in different places, Missouri. <laughs> different places, Missouri. <laughs> I guess the first
0: line that I would like to talk
2: about <laughs> is uh,
0: our introduction to the world of um <laughs> She wants to smile her snatch.
1: <laughs> what scene is that from? Because I probably have a line that beats that. That's the from movie. the first
0: time we meet the dancers at Goddess, and one of the dancers has a broken G-string, and Molly has to fix it within the minute, or else she's going to smile her snatch, because that's a thing (laughs) that people say. And then they're like, oh, she wants to smile her snatch. It's just like, what? I mean, I know what that means. I can figure it out, but...
1: It's not a good line. It's not good dialogue by anybody. No. I was gonna bring up the fact that Nomi is gambling in the casino. Someone says, like... Thinks she's a prostitute, which, you know, good for them. They, they're they very insightful. Um, and she <laughs> says, I'm not a whore or whatever. And he says, sooner or later, you're going to have to sell it. What? <laughs> Why? Why does sooner or later she have to sell it?
0: <laughs> it's a prophecy. <laughs> I mean, I think the implication is that it's Vegas and every woman has to do that it's, in Vegas. I mean, basically, <laughs> one way or another. I mean, I'm not saying that that's actually true, but that's
2: kind of the I mean, it only took me like five minutes being there before I sold it, but that's just me.
1: It just goes to show that the bad dialogue comes from every angle, not just Nomi. Nomi is not the sole problem of this movie.
0: No, not by a long shot.
1: Like, even if they had somebody competent, this movie would still be trash. Amazing trash. Oh,
2: see, but I think, uh, again, her performance just elevates it to this space that's very special. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, the... One of the first big plot turns in the movie is when Gina Gershon's character is introduced. Um, and Gina Gershon's what?
1: Her character.
2: Mm, um, her there's no character. Oh.
1: <laughs> she has a character. Okay. <laughs> she wears a cowboy hat.
2: She's got. She's got a name. She's got a cowboy hat. She bedazzles her nails. That's all you need. Come on. Why do women need to be more complicated than that, Chris? Well, they aren't, clearly. So Gina
1: Gershon is the star of this, like, topless spectacular. Called
2: goddess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Called goddess.
2: Yeah, and what's her character's name? It's Crystal Connors. Connors. Yeah, the scene where Crystal Connors is introduced, um, Nomi Elizabeth Berkeley's character is, uh, gets kind of backstage at the show because Molly, her seamstress friend, gets her back there. And Nomi does this... As she's watching Gina Gershon do this topless dance, Nomi does this set of hand gestures that kind of alternates between jazz hands and voguing in front of herself, and, like, literally... It's joking. F- it's it's <laughs> joking and, like, literally fingering herself. It's, there's, like, a... It's it's almost hypnotic, her dance maneuvers in that moment. But
1: she's copying what the dancers are doing on stage, Somewhat... which is awful choreography.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> awful choreography.
0: Yeah, uh, (laughs) that's another thing. (laughs) So, very soon we see her go out and dance at a club, which is even more (laughs) spastic dancing. She goes out with Molly, and that's where she meets James Smith, uh, the sort of love interest of this movie. And they're talking about how she can dance, but they're also talking about how she's not that good of a dancer but her dancing is so crazy like you i guys, don't know
2: the dance maneuver is called a grand mall yeah no she's having seizures she's not dancing
1: <laughs> but the thing is that like everything she does in this movie is thrusting when she's like like throwing the ch- the 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 uh, french fries she's like thrusting when she's like pretending to dance like watching the show she's thrusting her hands she's
2: convulsing She
1: can't she's convulsing like everything elizabeth <laughs> Berkeley does is at like a level 100 <laughs> and when she just the dancing
0: is oh man I cut ca- <laughs> someone had to choreograph this <laughs> who like I I just don't know like I feel like it was Paul Verhoeven probably who like interpreted like because like the the script says things like oh she burns when she dances which could be an like a fun description of <laughs> something where that means like oh she's really hot but I think he like. Really, like, was like, I literally want to see if maybe she can catch on fire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, like, her ca- her motions are as someone who is on fire. She's about to spontaneously combust. <laughs> or, like, trying to put herself out, maybe. <laughs> everything
1: is so angry. She does everything so angry. Yeah, it's
2: <laughs> violent. I mean,
0: that's what I have to say about this movie, is that... <laughs> that's what I have to say. Uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, <laughs> We like, love you. <laughs> Thank you. No, she... Okay, she was directed... To act like that, like that is the problem. Is I feel like every take in this movie was like the last one, and he was like, "All right, let's do a little, a really crazy one. Like, let's do one angry one. Like, we'll never use it, but like, just to warm up or whatever." And that's the one that they used every time because I don't think that she could have possibly started at that level in there. Yeah, and I there's on the DVD there are some extras that show him directing her. And he is kind of, like, egging her on to be more animated. And he's admitted in interviews that that's how he directed her to be. I mean, that poor girl.
1: I felt bad for Elizabeth Berkeley watching this movie. Yeah. Even though I feel like she is committed. Really committed sometimes too much. Um, <laughs> She's I not throwing felt, it in. I felt Bad for her because a lot of this movie is her completely naked and vulnerable doing these ridiculous things that aren't sexy. Not directed to help her be sexy, even though it's supposed to be, like... I think in Basic instincts, Sharon Stone's character, it's been a while, but I think she is, like, sexy and erotic. Yeah. But, like, this isn't erotic. It's just, like, sad and embarrassing, and I feel bad for her. Like, to have acted that and right. have to probably do several takes of a lot of those scenes where she's completely naked, looking like an idiot.
0: Her dancing and her sex is very similar in that it's very manic and all over the place like lots of wild gestures her sex the she first she uh gives kyle mcglocken a lap dance where she's kind of uh riding him yeah she,
2: she mounts him like yeah. she gives him like a lap dance yeah. and he comes and, and then later
0: they have sex which is kind of similar but much weirder because <laughs> they're in a pool and this sex looks like zero <laughs> fun for him or for her Like, it does not look pleasurable. She looks
1: like she's faking, and the guy would be like, all right, you're faking. (laughs) Like, don't do that.
0: She's so aggressive. Like, I don't understand... (laughs) Like, I think this had to be Verhoeven, because I read the script. The script does not mention anything about, like... Like, the pool scene reads kind of normally. It's like an erotic scene in the script, but it's not like... And then she's, like, whipping around. That she doesn't
1: do the power flop, as I like to call it? No, that
0: is not in the script. The
1: flipper, if you will. Can you imagine if this movie actually had, like, sexy, like, stripping scenes? Yeah. Where she, like, wasn't thrusting and angry, but, like, was actually, like, seductive. And, like, I can see that, like... Can you imagine a, a hot pool scene where, like, this manipulative woman is, like, you know... Doing sexy things, but she's like a little villainous. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be like a sexy erotic thriller, not a joke.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I really kind of have to blame Paul Verhoeven for like the lack of sexiness in this movie, just because I think like that had to have been his choice. Like, he was on set and like was like, yep, that's the one. That's the one we're going to use. Like, again, I can't imagine that like Elizabeth Berkeley decided that on her own and then just like walked in and they're like, well, that's a take. I guess we'll just leave it. It's like it had to be directed like that yeah
1: like can you imagine if like he didn't want that she comes in does the power flop in in the swimming pool and then if he didn't want that he would be like okay don't do that in the next shot (laughs) like just have normal hot sex or something you know what i mean like but like they kept it in the movie
0: (laughs) it feels like someone who's never had sex before but maybe like saw porn but on fast forward (laughs) (laughs) Becky, did you ghostwrite the sex scenes in this? <laughs> and that's what they thought to do because it's it's just like I mean it's very explicit, it's very yes in your face, but it at no point is it sexy. Well, at and all.
2: also just like the logistics of it started to become so suspect to me, where it was like in that pool scene, she goes down on him underwater, so you can't breathe in that situation. She doesn't oh. have a snorkel. And then the pool has a waterfall feature, and they basically are like making out of that. So she's waterboarding herself. (laughs) And then the the flip flop happens. It's just, I'm amazed she didn't drown multiple times during this. It's not just a flip flop, it's like a whole, it's a
0: round one. But she's also kind of shaking her tits at the time. Back and forth. She looks
1: like a beached dolphin, like on this back.
2: It looks like you have to do a lot of rowing machine to be able to do that (laughs) maneuver. How much would that hurt? for both parties oh she would break his dick off she would have burnt his dick off with that lap dance but she would have broke it clean in half in that pool
1: there's just so much unsexiness in this movie when he pours champagne on top of her head in the pool like that's not hot that's rude (laughs) there's nothing hot about
2: that you'll get sticky in like five minutes yeah
1: like oh there's so much ice with nipples and like (laughs) again in a not in a not hot sexy like scenario it's all like icky it felt. It feels icky. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I feel like the motivation that he gave her in every scene was like, "You just did one gram of cocaine, <laughs> and then ate the hamburger,
1: <laughs> brown rice and vegetables, please."
0: She's also on her period a lot, or mentions her period a lot. Constantly. In this movie. <laughs> That's an interesting choice.
1: We could just keep keep bringing up everything. Uh, that- uh, uh,
2: yeah, we could keep. Going oh my for god, on this. I
1: hate Henrietta. Oh my god, she is my favorite. No, I uh, My hate favorite her.
2: line of this movie is when she sings, "Oh show me a home where the buffalo roam, and I'll show you a home full of shit."
1: Oh my god, this That's- character. So this is like the the <laughs> oh, the the larger um uh carnivaly uh <laughs> vaudeville vaudeville comedian at the stru- at the Full frontal strip club. So
2: basically, the place where Nomi gets her stripping career started. uh, Henrietta is like the the old mom of the strip joint.
1: No one going to that place to see tits and labia wants to see wants the wants the nudity to stop so that. Henrietta can make jokes at her expense, but
2: Becky, the nudity doesn't stop because Henrietta has rigged a system whereby lifting her arms will make her tits pop out.
1: Oh, I hate it. Everything. I mean, I I love that it's in the movie because it adds to the insanity. But like <laughs> yes. just watching it, I hate it. And that an actress is actually she's actually really good on Orange is the New Black. That's true. She's fantastic. Yeah, on show. She? oh um, god, she's like what? I mean, she's not one of the major major people, but. I don't even remember her name, but she's like...
2: She's one of the side characters who's yeah, been in like the whole show. Yeah, she shares a cell
1: show. with, I think, Yoga Jones and Red, like, at least in the season one. Um, I think you would recognize... She lost a lot of weight yeah. since Showgirls. Um, and she's totally great in Orange is the New Black. <laughs> and this her tits season, don't pop out anymore. Yeah. Well, she's <laughs>
0: good for what this role calls for. There's nothing <laughs> I, wrong with her acting. I don't
1: like... Yeah, there's nothing wrong with this actress. I don't like this <laughs> role. It doesn't make any sense why it would be there at all. At
0: well, all. so it really reminded me of a drag queen at a gay club, which yes. does has this have this kind of mix of like you would have like yes. go-go dancers or strippers and like this like kind of body. That's exactly woman. what I thought. But
1: men don't have like have that I at mean, strip Maybe
0: clubs. there's like a place in
2: Vegas that has something like that. But well, like
1: what function does she serve other than like comic relief? But it's nothing no, she says exactly, is
2: funny. No, but that's exactly the purpose of it. It's like it's to break up the monotony in a show. Well, you can critique her writing if you want, but <laughs> To take it up with Miss, Hen- what's her full name, Henrietta Bazoom? I don't. know. I think it's I like know. Henrietta Bazooms. It or something sounds like
0: it could very well be correct. The weird thing about this movie is that it makes her into this like surrogate mother figure for her. Yes. In like one scene where Nomi gets the part in Goddess, and then Henrietta and the like asshole like manager of the strip club like both come and it's like this earnest scene like all the movies she's been like nothing but a bitch to him which he deserves I think in the script it's supposed to be more like he's like joking about like giving him a blowjob and stuff but that's not really how it comes across and anyway he's just sleazy but then they show up, and they're like, it's like this, like... Tender moment. Yeah, it's the only tender moment in the movie, really. And it's like, I never got any sense that these characters
2: yeah, fulfilled
0: there, that role to her at It all. seems
2: like there are a lot of plot turns that don't show you the work of why the plot turn is happening. Um, That was one of the huge ones where suddenly this guy is like her father figure and Henrietta is like her mother figure. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one was uh, earlier on when she gets arrested at the club, the nightclub where she's dancing with the guy for no reason. Like, and they don't show her getting arrested. They show her getting kicked out of the club by the bouncers. But then suddenly she was in jail overnight and you have no idea why.
1: We, uh, I'm sorry, I can't let that scene go without saying the best line of the movie. (laughs) is where Henrietta and the sleazy guy visit. (laughs) And they have this tender moment. And they're walking away. And he looks over his shoulder for one last comment and says,
3: Must be weird not having anybody come on you.
1: (laughs) Which is going to be my gravestone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then he throws her the towel and the bottle of (laughs) Coca-Cola.
1: How could they not know they're writing the funniest non-comedy. That line time. wasn't serious.
0: Like, that was supposed to be funny. So, I, this script... <laughs> like, the script kind of knows what it is, and the direction does not know what it is. Like, the script is not a good script. Like, a lot of the lines are still bad, but it's like... So, this movie costs $45 million. It's this movie is like... It was written to be, like, an exploitation movie. It should have been a cheap movie. It shouldn't have had, like all that production value. And, like, I can see a version of this movie where it's, like, just this dialogue, but it's, like, very, like, intimate and, like, it's played much more, like, sexually and, like, er erotically, where it's, like... It would be, like, a trashy movie, but I don't know if it would be, like, that bad of a movie. But, like, somehow, like, why would a studio put that much money into this? It just doesn't...
1: Behind, like, an Elizabeth Berkeley vehicle. It's just an anomaly, and the stars have aligned <laughs> to, to give us this gift of. <laughs> Of such a crazy movie. Only
0: because Basic Instinct made a lot of money, and I guess they thought that this was that, although I don't know why, because they're they're not very similar. There's not really... Yeah, they're really
2: not. They're really not that similar. There's no mystery here. And Elizabeth Berkeley wasn't, like, a big star lead to cast as someone who would, like, draw people in, and they
1: would know
0: that. No, and I don't think that they were trying to make Basic Instinct again, but I guess the studio was, but...
1: But, yeah, at least Basic (laughs) Instinct. I don't think... It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't think it's a good movie, but at least it has non-embarrassing parts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, like, Paul Verhoeven is a very strange director anyways, because I feel like a lot of his movies are looked at as satires, but it's like, there's this weird line in his movies where it's like, you're not really sure if he's making fun of his own movie or being serious. Like, Starship Troopers, Basic Instinct. Basic
1: Instinct, Total Recall... RoboCop.
0: Like, all of those are, like, bad movies in ways, and they're not, like, winking at you where it's like, oh, he's totally in on the joke. Mm. It's kind of like he makes bad movies, but, like, they're just good enough that they don't... Are they have like, interesting moments? Suck. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He just did the movie L. Yeah. Elizabeth... Isabelle Isabelle, is yeah French actress she was nominated for best actress for that movie and I was blown away that it was like a good movie yeah <laughs> like, no, it
2: that's wasn't, the thing like... I, I think he's a really great filmmaker he's just really uh fond of taking gigantic uh shifts and like making <laughs> wildly <not>
0: that.
2: <laughs> yeah he flops around in the pool of cinema a lot um, he makes movies that are very intentionally different from other movies like I think Starship Troopers is very clearly a farce, and uh I think it's a pretty careful movie to uh point at the like the fascism in that in that military run universe of starship Troopers and like show that that's a bad thing. But I also think that like again part of the magic of his movies like this is that it doesn't really matter how he intended to make the movie. It doesn't really matter how seriously he approached it. That just ends up making it more insane and perfect to me.
1: I want to talk about James a little bit, which is the love interest, although he kind of He's disappears. Not, he becomes the
2: the love not interest.
1: He like, okay, so again, with the theme of people going out of their way for this woman... So this girl at the club was super rude to him, kicked him in the balls, he bailed her out of jail, got fired from his job because of this woman, and he kept pursuing her romantically over and over.
0: He wrote a show for her.
1: (laughs) He wrote a show for this woman who he thinks is a really good dancer, but also not a really good dancer. Yes. (laughs) He has one of the best lines in the movie. (laughs) It's this, first of all, he's talking about like, he like sees her doing this lap dance on Colin McLaughlin. Very clearly he is clothed and she is not clothed, but yeah. he is. And he has this long monologue about, like, you were fucking him. And she's like, no, I wasn't. And he's like, yes, you were. And me as an audience member is like, no, she wasn't. <laughs>
0: like, Yeah, that's the one moment where it's like, no, she really, like wasn't (laughs) this was the one time she was not actually fucking him and that's the weird thing is that like actually in that scene he's actually like escorted away before most of that even happens yeah so it's like what is he even talking about and then he's like you fucked him and her and it's like she didn't even touch her like what are you talking about he
1: barely knows this woman why does he care
2: you got some shit to learn dancing ain't fucking
1: what's that more wisdom I know
3: that
2: no you don't you dance like when you fucked that guy last night what guy that guy with the chick you took him in the back i didn't fuck him
3: <laughs> yeah you did you fucked him and her are you following me around i didn't fuck anybody but i was. I
1: saw fu- you man everybody got aids and shit you know what is it that you think you do you fuck them without fucking them that's what you do and I'm like, but she didn't even have sex with either one of them. And also, you don't know this woman, and you're giving her like these morality lessons. Like
0: Right. And also, like, in these scenes, he's coming off as like kind of a moral voice, like, like you shouldn't be a whore. And then like he all of a sudden is like, I got a problem with pussy. And then he's like a big womanizer. But like none of that goes together. Like I I feel yeah, like Yeah, he doesn't they de- have a character. <laughs> they decided in like different moments that he's different like so in this movie there are men <laughs> none of them are good no they're all exclusively assholes james smith yeah, is the every closest every man is bad closest thing to a decent guy cuz at times he seems slightly okay <laughs> as a human
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh and everyone else is terrible so i i mean a part of me thinks that it's like kind of a interesting turn to, like, have this character who seems like he's, like, going to be the moral voice of saying, like, oh, don't do that, and then ends up being kind of a whore himself. But I think that's kind of just what this movie is, is it's a lot of, like, interesting ideas, but, like, no one connected them, <laughs> And no one even bound them to one specific character for any length of time. (laughs) Yeah. This movie has so many different plots. Like, a lot of it is this sort of all-about-Eve backstage drama, but that doesn't really... It kind of starts early on, and then for a long time, it's another movie. And then it kind of goes back to that when she finally, like, pushes Crystal down the stairs. But that's, like way into the movie
1: can you um i can't remember very clearly does she literally push her or does crystal trip and she doesn't save her
0: she pushes her she literally pushes her this movie is not subtle enough to be like
1: (laughs) just i was trying to remember um accurately (laughs) because part of what i have a problem with is that elizabeth berkeley's character is not manipulative enough like maybe she does that thing in that moment but like she's not she doesn't She's not cunning. No. At all. (laughs) She goes to have sex with Kamala McLaughlin at his house, but she's not really seducing him, and he's totally into it. She's not drawing him into her web of deceit or something. Like, they're both like, yeah, we're gonna bang.
0: (laughs) It's as if the movie is doing both stories at once. It is both being, like, she is moral and innocent in the scene... And she's manipulative. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, there are two completely separate movies happening on some top some of, of each other. Like,
2: it's this Showgirls is actually a prototype of a Charlie Kaufman type <laughs> film where multiple stories are overlaid on top of each other.
1: She's a dum dum because she <laughs> doesn't know Versace is Versace. She she calls it Versace. Mm-hmm. Like, it's clear she's a dum dum.
3: One day she looks like Pollyanna. The next day she looks like I don't know, Lolita maybe. <laughs> nice dress thanks i bought it at Versace.
2: in the forum
3: oh
0: yeah Versace. i love oh, Versace.
2: Yeah. <laughs> me too she also goes and buys that versace dress when her seamstress friend can make her anything and literally offers to make her oh i can make you that dress in the window like for free
1: yeah, she spends like thousands of dollars yeah, on the stress. Yeah, she's just a total dumb dumb. She's a dumb dumb, but like, <laughs> so it would be great if like we got a scene with her alone and I don't know what she would be doing but you see but you see
2: you see that she's like
1: it's all an act like she's actually really smart and she's like
2: (laughs) when she goes to her secret lair you mean I don't know she goes down to the nuclear plant where she works
1: (laughs) not smart like that but like smart like she knows what she's doing she's making people think that she's an idiot but she's really got everybody wrapped around her finger but like it just seems like she's just a dum-dum going through life (laughs) things happen to her where she like gets asked to audition for this show does and do anything to get uh, like the audition, um, and things just happen to her, and then the the. there's like rivalry um, with some side characters in the show where one person wants to get back at another one so they throw marbles knowing that that girl would step on them and like break her ankle so she couldn't be like in the show anymore and that's why Nomi becomes um, Crystal's understudy but like Nomi had nothing to do with that. Yeah, it's so And it's actually played
0: where she like watches it and she's like concerned and like seems like she might try and say yeah, something yeah. and save the woman and then she's like no <laughs> like it's it's exactly it it has the scene where if this was a movie where we were supposed to like the protagonist we would see like oh she kind of wanted to do something but then she couldn't because it would have ruined the show and then immediately Lei like, forgets that and makes it as if she's like plotting that all along it's like just, yeah. it's two movies. Like,
1: she should have, like, maybe, like, <laughs> fueled the fire, said some lies to one or the other so that they would hate each other. So that, what you know, like, it's just, she did absolutely nothing until that one moment where she pushes Crystal down the stairs. But she didn't do anything else.
0: Yeah, there's no build-up to that. So let's talk about the relationship between Crystal and Nomi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they have a lot in common.
2: <laughs> they have one thing in common. <laughs> Nails?
1: They both love dogs. <laughs> Puppy chow? Don't they have brown rice and vegetables? Do you like brown rice and vegetables? Yeah. You do?
3: Sort of. Really? It's worse than dog food. (laughs) It is.
1: I've had dog food. You have? Mm-hmm. Long time ago. Doggy chow. I used to love doggy chow.
3: <laughs> I
1: used to love doggy chow, too. Okay, can we start with that? Can we start Go right
0: ahead. Can we start
1: with the fact that they have a scene where they're at lunch together at Spago's talking about they both used to eat dog food and they both really liked puppy chow in particular? I think the point behind that was, oh, we're, we're, we were both poor, and we had to, like, pull ourselves by our bootstraps, and, like, you know, we've come a long way since then. But they don't talk about that at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, if one of them liked it, that would be fine. Like, I would be like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this is in a movie.
2: <laughs> but, like, the fact that they both I just liked love it... That it stops at just, I, we both enjoyed that. Yeah. Wow, we've got a lot
1: in common. <laughs> you ate garbage? I love eating Can garbage. You imagine writing this on your like <laughs> typewriter being like, This is gold. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: I wonder how many drafts that scene went through. In the middle of this,
0: though, is also a conversation that women have all the time about their tits.
1: Oh, I like having nice tits? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like having nice tits. How do you like having nice tits?
1: (laughs) I like having
2: them in a dress. You've had that conversation numerous times. It's almost like this movie's dialogue is in English as a second language tape that's a conversation between two people. Oh, my God. How do you enjoy your large tits at the discotheque? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. But seriously.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> Most of what happens in this movie, Crystal is really driving this movie. She does everything in this movie. Mm-hmm. She first meets Nomi and they are automatically have like a love-hate thing where Crystal is obviously in a better position than her, but for some reason, like, takes an interest in Nomi as both an enemy and a lover and a friend.
2: Oh, I don't think there's <laughs> anything really enemy about it. I think Crystal is a predatory lesbian, and I think it's, like, instant love. I think she's, like, especially re-watching it this time... That came through to me as more like an immediate falling head over heels in love with someone. Wow, I just Literally, felt like she, likes... she her
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just felt like she was just a person that gets bored and wants to toy with people. Yeah, that my reading is too. more
0: like that because she pursues Elizabeth. Uh, she pursues Nomi to the Cheetah where she works. <laughs> does this bitchy thing where she like makes her dance in front of her on like her boyfriend, boyfriend, but it's like this. It's a power move, for sure. Totally. And, like, making her feel like a whore, which she she does constantly throughout this movie. But then, like, gets her... First, she gets her, like, this job. She gets her an audition there. And then she also gets her this job at the boat show, where she knows that she's going to be basically asked to prostitute herself afterwards. But, like, she's constantly, like, kind of doing nice things. And she's the one that's, like actually making, Nomi wouldn't get nowhere in this movie without her. So she's like, having her, like, rise up, and then even when, like, Nomi pushes her down, she's like, she's not really that mad. And then she's like, yeah, well, like that's what I did to get ahead too. She's like, I needed to rest, anyways. It's almost like she is self-destructive, yes, and like mm-hmm. grooming oh, no, and totally. me to take her out.
2: Totally. That's yeah. the, well, but that's the, that's why I think of it as a love relationship. I don't know. It, it was in, it was actually like interesting rewatching it this time. There is a dynamic to that that is something more than just someone wanting to flex their power over someone else. Like there is a real affection and affinity for her, and it is funny, like because in a movie that would think of these things in a complicated and engaged with them in an interesting way i thought i think it would be really interesting to have a similar character dynamic where like you're the mentor figure knowing that the person you're mentoring is going to consume you and destroy you
1: mhm that's a lot of thought not it put is. into this movie. It is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's
2: exactly. like this.
0: It's kind of where Black Swan goes in a way. Oh, uh, definitely. There's a lot of movies. I mean, <laughs> and that obviously also takes from All About Eve a little bit. Uh, but the, it's again, it's like this. This movie decides that they hate each other, that they are secretly in love with each other, and that they are friends. Yeah. All at the same all time, but none of those <laughs> things actually like work with the other. It's just. Three completely separate storylines happening at the same time,
2: yeah, it's there are so many instances in this movie of just like multiple choices happening at once, like even at at the pool scene, Kyle McLaughlin's pool area has he has neon green palm trees like neon palm uh-huh. trees that light up over the actual palm trees, yeah. and it's that that's kind of a metaphor for the entire movie <laughs> experience oh that.
0: absolutely, and yeah, that's such a memorable <laughs> visual in it some It is way. It's so
1: yeah. funny cuz
2: like a- I saw the palm trees and I'm like, "Oh, he's got neon palm trees, doesn't he?" Yeah. It's uh...
0: also in that Spago scene, uh Nomi dips two fingers into her champagne and licks them. And then immediately gets offended that she gets called a whore.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. It was a strange choice. She does a lot of things of like dipping her fingers into random places and
0: on-screen and off, I'm sure. So I do think that one aspect of this movie that mostly works is the backstage drama, like, looking at, like, how the strippers would react to each other and, like, the relationships. Like, I found that fairly believable. It's obviously heightened, but, like, all the banter and it it has a good, like, it does kind of show you, like, what it would be like to be getting ready five minutes before the show and it at least is, like, smart about that stuff.
2: Yeah, and, like, having kids run around and, like... And how, monkeys. Uh, yes, also monkeys. I felt that was very realistic. This is a
0: movie where I forgot that there was a monkey attack scene because everything <laughs> else is so crazy. <laughs> but I was like, oh, this is one of the more normal scenes is in this movie. Is a
1: monkey in the show they're in?
0: I guess it's, like, a simul, uh, like, an act that happens, like, before or after.
1: But they're there to see topless review. Like, I don't understand. Does the
2: monkey show its tits?
1: I feel like Henrietta and the monkey should have their own
2: show. <laughs>
1: Do we even talk about the fact that this show, like, she, she, her dream is to be a dancer in Vegas, not Broadway, No, Vegas, and then she sees this topless show and she's like, that's what I, that's what I aspire to be. I aspire to be the star of this show, not anything else where I can keep my shirt on.
2: Right. <laughs> you 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 got to make it to the topless.
0: Because that's the thing is like she's like so upset about being called a whore, but she also character really character wants character to be character like character. a stripper and a topless dancer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's like offended at being a stripper, but does not mind <laughs> being a topless dancer at all. In fact, that's her dream.
2: <laughs> it's this very again, thin line. Again, it's a movie where she's like I will be a slut. Don't you dare slut shame me. (laughs) But how dare you call me a slut? (laughs) But yeah, all at once, all at the same time.
0: Also, please pay me $100 to have sex (laughs) with (laughs) you. I think Gina Gershon is kind of great in this movie. (laughs) She's
2: stupendous in this movie. She's in on the joke.
0: Yes. She is showing. She knows what she's doing. And like honestly, in a good version of this movie, I think she could give the same performance. Like She would be the kind of campy... Over the top character, but like she works. Like, I the movie works best when she's on screen. Like, I'm always interested when she's on screen, and I'm always like, I'm like really into the movie.
2: Oh, absolutely. I she was the first thing about this movie that like really drew me in, even when I first watched it. And I think you're totally right, Chris. Like, even in a like a gritty, serious reboot of Showgirls, like she would be fucking spot on doing that performance. I think she's awesome in this movie. Yeah. Like she's in a much better movie than this is. Mhm. I mean,
0: even the the character is a lot of fun. Like Joe Astor is definitely having fun with that character. Whatever he's trying to do with other things is more muddled, but that's the movie that I think he thought this was was like the campy. There are scenes when they're like fighting during the goddess musical on stage but like grabbing each other's tits and like that is hilarious, it's and that's hilarious. actually like I think intentionally hilarious, sort of, or very intentionally. Yeah, campy. it's like chorus
2: lining it, you know, like setting them against each other. So it's just
0: this weird mix of like things that genuinely kind of do work in an almost straightforward fashion, but then other things, just choices. Like, why is she sucking on a ring pop when she gets out of jail? <laughs> <'Cause>
1: every, <laughs> Where did she get that? Every moment of this movie is just gold. <laughs> So let's talk about the end of this movie. Nomi becomes the star of Goddess. Things appear to be going her way. She goes to a party with Molly. And the whole movie, like, Molly has been obsessed with this, like, rock star musician guy. Andrew Carver. Andrew Carver, whoever. I guess he's a musician.
0: Yeah, we don't really—I think he is a musician, but it's weird that, like, all we ever see is that he's on a poster. Like, he could be Wayne Newton. He could (laughs) be— Yeah, we don't get
2: a sense of his art.
0: Yeah.
1: And so they go to a party, and Molly is introduced to Andrew Carver. Uh, they go off to a room, and maybe you they you think it's going to be romantic. And then three goons come in, and they, like, violently gang-rape her. Like, in, like, really uncomfortably... It's really uncomfortable for this movie, the way that it's depicted. It's, like, needlessly violent.
0: It's very out of the tone of the rest of this movie. So... The script doesn't have that. I what? mean it very, it's it's like a two line description and it's like it's like Molly is introduced to Andrew Carver in the same way and then it's like it's a really quick flash to like she's being held down and raped. Like, but there's none of that build up. But I'm just like that doesn't even make sense.
1: Well, it doesn't make sense. I- Obviously, like, rape is about power, not sex, even though she was, like, willing to have sex with him, it seems, in that moment. But, like, this man is allegedly super famous, gang rapes this stranger, like, then leaves without a care in the world that... Like she's alive.
0: <laughs> she runs out into a crowded room bloody. Like it is and obvious. People
1: saw her with him. yeah So she's alive and she can say this man raped me. And like wasn't it his party too? Like I the, think wasn't so. the party
2: like for him?
1: I think so or like like people knew he was there. Right. right so exactly. then they're in the hospital and I don't remember the exact words but they're basically like the police aren't going to help you. Like the yeah. police aren't coming. Why are She's coming she's alive and people saw her with like why would you not investigate she's yeah. clearly beat up and raped and then like it would make so much more sense if they said oh the police are looking into it and then Nomi would be like the police never did shit for me like maybe, maybe she got attacked in the past so she's like they didn't help me then I'm gonna help my friend so regardless she's like decides upon herself to go to Andrew Carver's place like offering herself like she just calls him she just calls him his people up and says hey
0: well because he did say I like your ass call me so. okay
1: so she she goes and he doesn't want to rape her because like like he just wants to have sex sex with her I guess yeah like but, but then she like takes out a knife kicks him and says if you ever hurt my friend again like I'll kill you and I'm like why don't just why don't you just kill him why don't you just kill Honestly, him? She it's the just end of him. the movie. Again, just kill like, him. I
2: feel like a latter-day Paul Verhoeven movie. Like if this were made by the same Verhoeven who made L, it would end with her killing him, and it would be my favorite movie ever yeah, made. Why didn't it? Yeah, like if that were the punchline of the setup of this whole movie, I'd be like, that's one of the most flawed, interesting <laughs> female protagonists I've ever seen. Like it's, it's, it's really weird in retrospect that that sequence is elevated to the extent that it is but it isn't really used as a moment to give anyone all that much power it's just pure vengeance
1: it's vengeance but he she doesn't even kill him so he's still alive just got kicked in the balls and then she goes to her friend and says i beat the shit out of him then she leaves her friend and has to flee flee the city and the show but like she just should have killed him if she was going to flee And leave this life behind. Like, it didn't make any sense. And she's just leaving one of her best friends that's helped her out. And now she's, like, I guess going to do the same thing in another town? Oh, yeah, there's, like, a... Hollywood. The sequel.
0: (laughs) That was supposed to be a sequel. Oh,
1: God. Like, Um, it's uh, it's such a downer of an ending because it also has nothing to do with the show. That was, like, part of, like, most of the movie was about her and the show.
0: So this becomes a rape-revenge movie in the final act, which is bizarre because that's not what this movie is. So Molly is the only character who's, like, a genuinely nice, normal person in this movie. Mm -hmm. The race element is a little uncomfortable because it's just, like, she's the friend who's, like, always, like, helping her out, and then, like, she just gets put into this, like, awful situation where Mm -hmm. it's, like, she gets just brutalized, and it's just... It's really ugly, and it's just, like, it's not a good... Look on this movie's.
2: Well, and also it's like every black person that exists in this universe exists to help Elizabeth Berkeley's character. But all people kind of do. <laughs> but the, yeah, that's yeah, also true. But no. That's also true.
0: And so I mean, I can I can see an interesting version of this movie where it's like it's about this woman and she's being subjugated by men all this time. Like some of it, you know, through work and other other ways, like men are pissing her off, and then she ends up taking a stand for women in the end, and like going after this rapist. Like that's interesting on paper. In the movie, it's just like the Amanda? rape thing just comes, like the even that character comes out of nowhere. Like I don't even know why that character was here. Like why isn't it just like a different? Like why isn't it someone that she works with? Or yeah, something, like there and could be a, a boss at
1: guy. the Goddess Show that she ends up having to defend her friend and killing and that that's why she has to leave town in the yeah, well, and the goddess show. Yeah, well,
2: there is there's a perfect character to do that. Like Kyle McLaughlin has that like fixer guy who's the person who initially approaches Naomi at the club. I believe
0: that any man in this movie rapes exactly. her. Exactly.
2: <laughs> no, but there would be there are characters who were there who are underdrawn who could have taken that who could have done something with that choice and have actually mean something in the universe of these characters. But no, it is like this kind of deus ex machina moment where the hand of God reaches down from heaven to brutalize someone who's literally the no one deserves it, but she is like the only remotely decent person Mm -hmm. in this universe, seemingly. And it's the celebrity that she
0: worships. It's this weird punishment for this character. It feels like a moral judgment, but like the opposite of one where it's like, that girl's nice. we got to punish her. Everyone else gets away from
2: yeah, there was an, another really misleading thing about this scene that threw me off even the first time I saw it. Is that Nomi puts lipstick on her nipples?
1: Oh my god, what was that about? For
2: years, I thought that that was a sexual thing that straight people did, and it took a while. All the time. Uh, yeah.
1: What? Every choice of this movie is strange. <laughs> Every choice. It I thought that those off. were like
0: fake nipples that they put on because he's like biting her nipples, and I was like, maybe they're like to. So that he's not actually biting her. So, like the makers of
2: wax lips also make <laughs> wax nipples. You loved our wax lips. Now try <laughs> fake nipples.
1: Aren't all of these scenarios bizarre? Yes. Whatever is the right one <laughs> is weird. Yes. There's no. There's no reason that her nipples should be bright red in that scene. You now
2: understand the Tao of showgirls. <laughs> but the brilliant
0: thing about all this is when, like, her nail. Like this movie is basically. Hundred percent about nails and tips
2: <laughs> and burgers, and in the
0: end, she like does a special like her version of getting ready to be like a femme fatale is painting her nails, and then she looks in the mirror and goes showtime, and that's like <laughs> what this movie was going for sometimes, and kind of achieved. At other times,
1: <laughs> that shot of her looking in the mirror when she's getting ready to like kick his ass is the only time she looks good in the movie. Mm-hmm. It is. She has like straight hair. I'm like, I'm sorry, Elizabeth Berkley. I know your curly hair is probably natural, but like, she looks amazing. She has with those the like awesome
2: thigh high boots too. Yeah,
1: yeah, and
0: I don't know why they couldn't have like went with that and made her be a badass. Like even in the last scene, she's like back to like wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs>
3: oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We never said how much we thought about the movie as adults. (laughs) We love it. (laughs) It's amazing. It is far from
2: boring. Again, just fascination exists around every corner.
1: It is so rewatchable. I don't know how many times I've seen it. I'm going to see it more in the future.
2: This movie
0: is endlessly fascinating. Like... I I thought a lot about this movie. I did serious academic research on this film. (laughs) I read scholarly essays. (laughs) Scholarly essays, like, really. And, like, didn't agree with everything they said, but everything that they said was interesting. There is so much to this movie, and, like, it all... It's all true. It's, like, everything Mm -hmm. is true about this movie. Like, it's bad and good and feminist and really bad for women <laughs> like it's it's just all of the things if
1: i was a reviewer for entertainment weekly i would give it an a and an f yeah <laughs> yeah
2: they gave it a c plus so that's basically what they yeah. did no i would yeah.
1: literally i wouldn't give it a, a the average of that i would give it an a and an f
2: yeah, yeah. and it's like it really <laughs> is the epitome of a bad movie that is simultaneously like high art like, well-made cinema.
1: <laughs> that isn't well-made. <laughs> that isn't well-made.
0: Poorly-made, greatly-made like, cinema. <laughs> right, right. And I think one of the sources of, like, what happened is that she's written as a young girl character and I think there's a lot of ways you can see that as working with the story better than what they did but Elizabeth Berkeley was like trying really hard to shed her childhood star image as a lot of actresses do and so she is playing like a woman like she is going like there is nothing girly about this character
1: she's also really tall Yeah, she's like Amazonian yeah, that's the
2: other thing is it's like she looks she can't make herself not look like a full grown woman yeah I mean she was only
0: 22 when she made this movie but she Holy looks like shit. 30 really? yeah oh
1: wow. my god i was gonna say like wow
2: she's got the lips wow. of a 42 year old wow she yeah. was 22
0: so she's written as this ingenue character but she's not played as an ingenue non <laughs> so it's also a feminist movie in the sense that it's it has women <laughs> <laughs> does does a movie pass the Bechdel test if their tits are out the entire time but they are talking to each other about something yes, that's not does. a man so I mean it has that like these women are like they have agency like they're making their own choices they're interesting women none of them really exist like for men even though like by definition of their careers that's what their careers are or to be like jerked off over <laughs> but like As characters, like, none of them really care that much about what men think. Even, like, Crystal and Zack... Like, they're, it's very clear that, like, they're cheating on each other and neither of them, like, really cares. Like, it, it's this world of sin and it, there's, like, no woman who's, like, desperate to please her man or anything like that. Like These women are pretty interesting women. It's interesting to see a character like this, like, who enjoys sex and it's, like, she's not shamed for liking sex. Like, she, yeah, sleeps with the guy and it's, like, in most of, the, like, burlesque or something, I feel like those movies, like, you always see this character and she's like, oh, no, I would never do that. And it's always, like, the bad girl who has sex so it's interesting that like this is a protagonist who is allowed to like just enjoy sex and be sexually confident
1: but too bad they're terribly written characters yeah
0: i mean it's 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 like there's so much goodness it's like you baked everything with all the right ingredients but just in the wrong order it's an exploitation film but it like those are supposed to be cheap right like this is supposed to be a cheap movie. It's literally It's an
2: expensive ex- exploitation movie.
0: Yes, it's a very expensive cheap movie. <laughs> like like I'm sure there's a there's a famous quote or something like it it takes a lot of money to look this cheap or yeah. something. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a Dolly Parton quote.
0: Okay, yeah. Exactly. It's <laughs> like that's kind of sums up this movie. The Eternal Dolly Parton. And so I think Verhoven is kind of doing like this critique of America and commercialism and like the tackiness of Vegas and is like really like leaning into that and really trying to make it feel as, like, plastic and rotten as possible. But, like, that's so against kind of what other people are doing. Like, it's like, some of those people had the idea where, like, like she the costume designer, like, the makeup, like, that all looks cheap. But then there's, like, other aspects that were supposed to be taken
2: seriously. Yeah, and I don't think, wh- while I think the kind of... Under belly of Vegas is a fucking awesome world and a very rich vein that you could tap, I don't think Paul Verhoeven has enough of an American sensibility um, or that kind of understanding of that world to be able to talk about it in a way that builds on the caricatures and stereotypes and things that you would hear from anywhere.
0: Yeah, it really feels like it, this is a full-length adaptation of the vagina flash in Basic Instinct. It's like you liked it in for a quarter of a second in B- Basic Instinct. So here's a l- Elizabeth Berkley's, like vagina in a Best Supporting Actress-sized role.
1: If you slow down Basic Instinct, that scene where she's opening her legs, you can see the entire <laughs> film of <Showgirls> play.
2: <laughs> you can really see it in the 4K restoration. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look really close. You can see the entire movie playing. <laughs>
0: So I think the perfect summation for Elizabeth Berkeley's character was written by Anthony Lane of The New Yorker, who says, She can't act, but the sight of her trying to act, doing the sorts of things that acting is rumored to consist of, struck me as a far nobler struggle than the boring old I-know-I-can-make-it endeavors of her fictional character. Which I think is really true, is like, something, there's something admirable about, not really her character, but her performance is like, weirdly engaging and watchable, and like, you- like her, even though, like, you would never want to be friends with this person. Again,
2: specific- it's like, Becky, I get what you were saying earlier about, like, being embarrassed on her behalf, you know, but I do, Chris, like, I really agree with that. Like, I do think, again, like, this is a movie where everyone is bringing their A-game. Now, whether they understand where that A ranks in the worldly <laughs> alphabet of other people's imaginations is one thing. But I think Elizabeth Berkeley whatever level of actress you would say she was, and I think she was fine in a sitcom world, but she is at least clearly on screen pouring her entire self into trying to inhabit that character. Yes, um, and being, like, prodded. But,
0: like, she's pouring all of it, and then she's being asked by Verhoeven to do it, like, twice as much.
2: It is like watching a circus. You can tell that just stage, there are trainers poking and prodding, trying to rile the animal up. So just to talk a little bit about this film's
0: legacy... Um, like I said, Esther Haas got almost four million. Verhoeven got six million. Elizabeth Barclay got one hundred thousand dollars.
2: Not God enough. Damn.
0: This was her first movie. She got dropped by CAA, rejected by ICM and William Morris. She there were rumors that she was sleeping with Verhoeven, which was not true. Um, kind of says like something about the nineties, where like women were really, like, vilified whenever they were involved in something, like, Marcia Clark, Tanya Harding, like, Monica Lewinsky. Like, they always ended up becoming the villains of these stories when a lot of men in the picture were doing just as bad. And it's like, this movie, I mean, it, it did kind of kill everyone's career in a way. Like, uh, like, Esther Haas went on to do some pretty bad stuff and then not very much more. And Verhoeven didn't really make anything much after Starship Troopers until L. But, well,
2: but he, but he made like an Oscar-nominated war movie. Like that's the yeah. thing. Like Verhoeven had his own kind of trajectory, and you know, kept making the kinds of films that Paul Verhoeven makes.
0: But yeah, this really. But stuck this did to do Elizabeth a lot historical. of other people. Yeah, and I, I just like I feel really bad for her that like she really took the brunt of the blame for this
1: movie i think it's so beloved now at this point though that like what i think it was you and me chris we saw elizabeth berkeley in a movie theater like just being yeah like just going to see a movie and i was so excited (laughs) (laughs) like i think that like we went to the, the hollywood forever cemetery and saw showgirls as one of the screenings and she was the main guest and everybody was like, you know, standing ovation. Like, I'm glad for her that this movie has become such a cult favorite that now it's like flipped around again and people are like happy to see her. Mm -hmm. And they, it's almost like a badge of courage to like have been in this movie. And like, I think she went back from being a joke to being likable.
2: Well, but see, I don't think that trajectory has paid off for Elizabeth Berkeley in the same way that it does for actresses now cuz I could easily have imagined like if Elizabeth Berkley had made that in like 2007 or 8 or something like now she would be in uh, she would get a couple indie movies under her belt she would like do a couple movies that are like a million dollars or 5 million dollar budgets and she would have had the opportunity to fail with more grace and continue having more of an actual acting career i think she's loved in like the cult sense now but i don't think she Like I don't see her in things. I don't see her getting hired for stuff.
1: I think she was in the First Wives Club. Yeah, but other than that, I can't think of anything she's in.
2: I
0: looked. She's she's worked consistently, but it has obviously been more under the radar stuff. And yeah, like a lot of it has like leaned into kind of sexy stuff Mm. because that's what she was known for.
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of a shame Um, because again, like who knows if she would have ever been a great actress? But I don't think she ever got the chance.
1: Maybe this was her chance, though. Maybe
2: this was her chance. She that flopped. was not a fair
0: chance. <laughs> <laughs> like, look what she had to work with.
2: And that's all the flopping we have for this episode of the When We Were Young podcast. On our next iteration... We are going to say thank you for being an old, old friend with the Golden Girls the when we were young podcast is a production of the mfp studio studio in los angeles california if you've enjoyed this you can join us by subscribing on itunes and listening in and leaving us a review on itunes of five stars or more you can also reach us on all the social medias i have been seth i'm becky and i like your ass call me
1: okay music go
3: That's enough, thank you ladies.